WXDX FM, Pittsburgh. Here's some tweets I got about the Steelers' uh, backup quarterback situation. They are simply delightful. Here's one from Whiplock. A very appropriate name, I'm thinking. Only reason Landry is backup is he knows the offense to a T, and Ben is comfortable with him knowing he is not a threat to take his job. Steelers will not cut a third pick in Rudolph, so Dobbs is the odd man out. Okay, so Ben is comfortable with Jones because Jones is not a threat to take his job. Yo, Paul Brown, no one is a threat to take Ben's job. What, you think Dobbs is a threat and Ben's uncomfortable with that? You're getting Dobbs confused with Jimmy Garoppolo. Ben could lose a leg and Dobbs couldn't beat him out. From William, Landry Jones has no place in the future of this team. Zero. I would rather have a backup that brings a different skill set to the table than Ben, plus two versions of the same guy. Keeping Dobbs makes the most sense. Keeping Jones makes none. Yeah, but this isn't about the future of this team. It's about this year. All in. And you don't want a backup that's never played in a regular season game. And that stuff about a different skill set... Do you think that if Dobbs replaced Ben in a game because Ben got hurt, that the Steelers would go to a totally different playbook because of Dobbs' skill set? Do you think the other team would be confused and not know what to do? The answers are no and no. And from Dave, Landry has a winning record in actual NFL games. You know how rare it is to be a backup and have a winning record? He does just enough to win, which is the absolute best you can ask for from a backup. Hey, hold on a second. That tweet makes sense. How the frig did that slip in there? And so it goes. Like I said at show's beginning, nothing makes the local son dumber than when they talk about the quarterback position. It shows how little they know about football and how very little common sense they have. This debate is mostly about common sense, you know. The Steelers are all in for this year, so it's no time to have a backup with zero game experience in the regular season. Case closed. Sick Again brought to you by 84 Lumber, helping you build the right way since 1956. You know, when I cut and paste tweets to to use on the show, I, I try to edit out grammatical errors and general stupidity, and I never get them all because there's so many grammatical errors and so much abject stupidity. Uh, no matter what I do, I come to a place in reading the tweet, and I say, wait a minute, what, what, what does this even mean? But I do my best. And once again, I keep saying none of you want to call in and talk about this because you know you're wrong, you know you're stupid, you know there's no real debate, you know Landry Jones has to be number two. You know Josh Dobbs is a guy that's never going to start a game in the NFL. You know all those things except on Twitter where you're brave and insulting and stupid and you don't get direct feedback to any of those things. 412-333-9939. Uh, I forgot to ask Wolf why Antonio Brown was in full uniform last night. Now, I, I, I've been told since that a couple of the regulars 
a bunch of them actually, including, I'm told, the whole offensive line, came out in full uniform for warm-up just to get in that routine, but then changed into, you know, sweats and whatnot for the game and stood on the sideline. Like I saw a photo of Joe Hayden in sweats and a T-shirt talking to Antonio Bryan on the sideline, and A.B. was in full uniform. So he stayed in full uniform for at least part of the game. I just, I wonder why the heck he did that. And, of course, he did it so people would pay attention. Look at me. Look at me. I can't stand the spotlight, but I'll jump in front of it every chance I get. We also spoke earlier about the front page of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Not the sports page, mind you. But the front page of the paper in general, and there's a picture of Juju Smith-Schuster dancing. Every time he's photographed, he's either playing football or dancing. Why is he always dancing? Oh, wait, he's lit. Lit AF. Lit AF. Lit AF. Lit AF. Lit AF. You know what's funny? I can talk about Juju and just say the same things about him that he says about himself. And people take that as insulting him when I say it. I'll tell you this for sure, for sure. He will let you down. I keep hearing what a great kid he is, and he's just having fun and living life. He will let you down. This game is about focus and preparation, not being lit, not having fun. He will let you down. Just like Antonio Bronze let you down, just like Le'Veon Bell's let you down, just like the No Ring Mafia has let you down. You know, Ben's a guy that's going to get criticized that the Steelers don't win a Super Bowl and the window closes without them having done so. He won two. Bell got none. Brown got none. Ben got two. Can't take that away from him. I know you'd like to, and that ties in again to the conversation in this time, the nonstop conversation about the quarterback position. It's the most prominent position so people talk about it, they feel they can relate to it, but they don't know. They just don't know. By the way, Andy Benoit uh, says Juju Smith-Schuster could be a perennial 1,200-yard receiver if he has talent around him. And uh, Andy wrote an article about the Steelers in which he expanded. What he means is Juju's a good number two receiver. In a nutshell, that's what he said. He's not a number one. He's a number two. And I believe Juju is a good number one receiver. I believe it could be even better. I'm just curious to what his season winds up being this year when it looks like it's all dancing and Fortnite from a distance. That's what it looks like. You know, the, the dancing thing? Well, there's some stuff to be said about that that I'm not sure I want to say. But dancing every time there's a camera, dancing every time there's a crowd, there's some stuff to be said about that that I'm going to let somebody else say. Put it that way. You know what I'd like to hear talk about that? Jim Brown, the greatest football player ever. In fact, Google Jim Brown in dancing. And if you're lucky, a series of quotes uh, might avail themselves as to what Jim Brown thinks about black men in athletics dancing all the time. And he is the greatest football player of all time. And I know what you're going to say. Oh, he beat his wife. 
Well, that didn't seem to bother you at all when James Harrison did it. And just because James Brown was a domestic abuser, and that's extremely regrettable, that doesn't nullify his opinion on everything else. Because his opinions when it comes to football, both back then and now, are extremely, extremely valid. We got Josh Joey at 430. You, you know what? As you've noticed, I do have contempt for the audience. I, I just, especially the callers, I, I don't consider many of you to be on an intellectual level with me. I mean, not even close. But the fact you will go on Twitter and just lampoon me and lambaste me and insult me over the notion that Josh Dobbs should be ahead of Landry Jones on the depth chart, over the notion that they should keep Josh Dobbs and cut Landry Jones, but you won't call in to make a case, it shows what cowardly pukes most of you are. It's the same logic where you insult me every chance you get under a false name on Twitter, but when I'm out in public, everybody just asks for me for an autograph, and tells me how much they love my show because you're a bunch of cowardly pukes. Almost all of you, a bunch of cowardly pukes. Not to be critical, doesn't mean you're bad people, just means you're cowardly pukes. 412-333-9939 is the number to call. It's the Mark Madden Show, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Hey, Mark, check it out. Even as a kid, I was a super genius. How's the coolest white guy on the radio? <laughs> I think I'm the coolest guy, period, but what's up? The X at 105.9. Double M on the X. We got Yoey talking hockey at the bottom of the hour right now. Finally, a couple people appear to have grown a set. They want to talk about the quarterback position, about Dobbs over Landry, which is such a crock. Let's go to Todd in White Oak. Todd, you're on with Double M. What's that? Super genius. Super genius. AFC playoff game, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh. Roethlisberger went down. Jones come in. He choked. Well, now, hold it. He didn't come in and choke. He just was Landry Jones. How would Josh Dobbs have done? At so, least you have somebody who's a half a little oh, bit Oh, that's just stupid. Oh, kiss my ass in hell. That's ridiculous. You're breaking down Josh Dobbs' chance. You think he should get a job based on something that happened before he even joined the team. Oh, you can hang up. Sissy. Oh, I'm not thinking sissy. Thinking wussy. <laughs> Let's go to Josh in Beaver Falls. I hope it's not Josh Dobbs. Josh, wrong with Mark. Hi, Mark. How are you? Hey, Josh. Hey, uh, why not carry four quarterbacks? What's, mean, the, what's the upside of that? Well, this is a pursuit of this morning. He broke it down pretty clearly. It basically boils down to Josh Dobbs or Daniel McCullers. I'd rather have Danny McCullers. That's not even close to me. What? what well, how, I mean, Danny McCullers. Danny McCullers is the backup nose tackle. Josh Dobbs is the fourth quarterback. How often does the fourth quarterback even come into play in a season? How many teams even use three quarterbacks? But if you look at it this way, if you look at the Jacksonville game last year, they were struggling mightily on the defensive line. Oh, so Danny McCullers didn't even get a half. Right. They should have brought Josh Dobbs into play nose tackle then, right? Tell me why they should keep Josh Dobbs. Tell me the upside of keeping Josh Dobbs as the number four quarterback. Well, this is Landry's last year. No, it's so not. It's, no, it's not. It's, it's last year under contract. They'll keep him. Well, then why not keep Here, Landry this year? Here, here's what you don't get, bro, or don't want to get, or maybe you're just dumb. They love Landry Jones. They think he's a great backup. And why wouldn't they? 
He's never really disappointed. He's not going in there and play like Roethlisberger every time, but he's played well enough. He's played 19 games, started five, won three of those five starts. That's good enough for a backup. Against the Browns in the last game of the regular season? Still a win. How much, how much, how much regular season experience does Josh Dobbs have? Neither does Mason Rudolph, but not carry the four. Because there's no upside to carrying four. You just don't need four quarterbacks. Josh Dobbs is not your quarterback of the future. If he was your quarterback of the future, I'd say keep him. But if he was that, that keep him as number three. But Mason Rudolph is the quarterback of the future. Why are you so in love with Josh Dobbs? Why do you think there's an upside to keeping him? Because there is no tangible upside. Hey, opinions are opinions. I was just no, no, see, but I'm asking you a question. Right. And, I, and I know that ignoring the question makes you sound not as stupid as if you had to answer it. Tell me the upside to keeping Josh Dobbs. He looks good in preseason. Okay, that's not a good enough reason. That's just not a good enough reason. A lot of guys look good in preseason. He looked good against guys that will be playing arena ball in the not-too-distant future. Yeah, but Landry Jones... No, Landry Jones played in regular season games and won more than he lost. Against the Browns, for most of them. Regular season game against starting players. First string. You don't think that means more? You don't think that means more than Josh Dobbs mopping up a bunch of scrubs who are going to be bagging groceries in a week? It doesn't work. I'm just saying. No, no, no. Answer the question. Do you think what Josh Dobbs did in exhibition games matters more than what Landry Jones did in regular season games against, yes, the Browns? Yes. Well, that's insane. I cannot describe the level of your stupidity. I'm surprised you get dressed in the morning. (laughs) I managed to get my pants on. Yeah, I bet there's not much reason to take them off ever. God forbid you reproduce with an IQ that low. Let's go to David in North Hills. David, you're on with Double M. What up, Double M? What up, man? Hey, I completely see why you're so frustrated on this. This is the most ridiculous thing ever. The fa- everyone wants to bring up the Browns, but guess what? Landry Jones came in with a team of backups on offense for the majority of the personnel and be the team of starters. I don't care what their overall was. That's impressive. Very few guys in, in back as backups have a winning record in the NFL. This Dave, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be impressive. All it has to be no. is better than what Josh Dobbs did and it's much better. Exactly. The best you can hope for for a backup QB in the NFL is that they come in and do just enough to win and that's what Landry has done. And by the way, a Hall of Fame quarterback found him important enough to open his mouth and, and say he thinks he should be on the team. I think that that means a lot more than Joe Blow at home thinking that Josh Dobbs should be in a game because he can run a little bit. I mean, it's just it makes absolutely no sense. If Josh Dobbs ever got a starting job, he'd get fantasy points with his arm and his legs. Real quick to uh, Mike in Bethel Park. Mike, you're on with Mark. Hey, what's up, Double M? What up? Hey, quick question for you. It's a two-part question. First of all, I agree with you totally. Landry Jones is a backup quarterback. All, all you need him to do is come in and do his job. People are falling in love with Josh Dobbs because he had one game. So here's my question to you. Where could you see teams picking him up as a starter, and where could you see the teams picking him up as a backup? I thought, I thought. well, nobody wants him as a starter. Or even okay, as well, it seems... 
Well, it seemed like last night they were really pushing that he could work well with Carolina. Do you think he could back up like a Cam Newton? Greg Wolfley said that uh, earlier today on this program. Yeah, I think it'd be a good it'd be a good landing spot for him. And I think if any team would trade for him, Carolina would be the likeliest because of what they saw last night. Got you. Yeah, yeah, and I, I agree. Is there any other team that you could see him backing up? I'm sure there's a number of them, bro. I, I got to be honest. I don't care who the backup quarterbacks in this league are. I just don't. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And and then people need to realize is this guy came in and he was playing fourth string college level players. So you put this guy with the first string, he's not running like he was running last night. It's not happening. Thanks for the call. Up next, talking hockey in studio, Josh Owey of the Athletic 105.9. This is Sidney Crosby of the Pittsburgh Penguins. You're listening to Mark Madden and the best hockey talk on 105.9 The X. Joining me now, he showed up on the right day and at the right time from The Athletic, it's hockey writer Josh Joey. Josh, before we get to hockey, which as we all know is my first preference to talk about in years too, what about this Steeler quarterback situation? Well, I have to say, Mark, as you know, I'm a longtime fan of your show, but the thing I dislike most about your show is always in August when backup quarterback talks about the Steelers. I feel like it kind of drags the show down a little bit, and even a man of your IQ, I don't know, can save it. Well, Josh, you're wrong about that. There are plenty of things to drag the show down, and a man of my IQ often can't save it. So, so in, in, a, in a roundabout way, you've hit the nail right on the head. Sure. Hey, um, I don't think it's too early to talk about Penguins line combinations because I think the Penguins lines fit together perfectly as long as Sid doesn't want to play with Dominic Simone. If he does, then it's chaos. Then nothing fits. No, you're right, and it's interesting that he seems to enjoy playing with him. The coaches also seem to enjoy them together. Uh, were it me, you have two possibilities there. You can try Daniel Sprong there if you want, but I've always liked Hornquist with Sid. I think Sid, Hornquist, and Gensel, that line was dynamic in the playoffs. I don't know why you would touch that other than the fact that Sid doesn't always like playing with Patrick Hornquist. What does Sid see in Simone? What do the coaches see in Simone? <laughs> and do you think Sid does want to play with them? I, I, obviously, he doesn't mind playing with him. I don't know that he's really campaigning for it. I'm not sure he's militant. You know what the funny thing is? Sid likes playing with guys who are fast, and Simone is not that at all. Uh, what the coaches like, they, they love his hockey sense. They think he's just one of those guys who's coachable, who always goes to the, the right spot at the right time, and that's all fine and well. My issue with Simone is I just don't see a top-six NHL skill set. I don't think he finishes well enough. He's not big. He's not fast. Um, I, I'm not a huge fan. I'm not saying he's a useless NHL player, but I don't think he should be playing on the top line. Where's Broussard going to wind up? What position and what line? And is he healthy? Well, that's the real question. He had a groin injury, of course, in the playoffs last season. He should be healthy by now. Uh, Mike Sullivan and Jim Rutherford have both acknowledged that there's a chance Broussard could play left wing at some times this season. And I guess, in a way, it makes sense because the Penguins are so top-heavy at center, and a right wing for that matter, that they're going to have to have somebody play at a position on the left, whether it be a Brian Rust, a Derek Broussard, maybe both. But I still think you're going to see Broussard at center to start the season. That's just my hunch. They got him to give them a dominant structure down the middle. And I don't think just because things didn't go well for a few weeks, you say, screw this, let's make Shea our third-line center and Cullen our fourth-line center and and put Broussard at left wing, where he's never played before, by the way. He has always been a center. So I still think, ideally, they want him to thrive there. How many centers are the Penguins going to keep? Because right now, they legitimately have six NHL centers. Yeah, I mean, 
Probably all of them. I mean, Matt Cullen's going to play on the left wing, I, I believe. I think Riley Shane will start as the fourth-line center. I think Cullen will play on the left side. And he has played a lot of wing in his career. He he is certainly a versatile guy. No, he's legitimately a guy who can play any of the three forward no, spots. No, Cullen can. That's one of the things. I, I know he's 41 years old, but that's one of the things that is still appealing about him. You can put him on a fourth-line role, and he can literally play any of the three spots. You can't say that about many people. And they picked up Derek Grant also, and I don't know what to make of him. He's never been that great of an NA. NHL player. He had 12 goals last year with Anaheim and all Rutherford of a sudden. Rutherford likes him, though. He does. And Listen, he, he did score 12 goals last year, so there's something there. Obviously, the Penguins have a ton of depth at center, and, and Mike Sullivan, like most NHL coaches, he loves having a lot of natural centers, and my God, they have enough of enough of them now. Jake Gensel, of course, is a natural center. Brian Russ is a guy who's played center a lot in his uh, college career, so yeah, no shortage of uh, centers and guys who can take face-offs. Uh, at what point do Sid and Gino hit a wall? And their production dips. And I don't see that happening yet, but I am cognizant of Gino being 32 and Sid 31. Yeah, I had that conversation with Jim Rutherford last week, in fact, and he told me essentially that it, you know a few decades ago, this would have been in the age where you'd be worried about them, that there would be a decline. But that in this generation, you know, being 31 or 32 is kind of like being 36 used to be. So it's a little, or vice versa. So it's a little different now. I think they still have two or three years probably at this level of production. And, you know, if you look at Crosby's numbers, he's not putting up quite the numbers he did five years ago. If you want to look on a point-per-game level, when he was 24, 25, 26, he was putting up 1.6 points per game, which is outrageous. He's been around 1.2 the last few years, which is still probably the best player in the league. So maybe he is on the slightest of declines, but I still think both of them are near the height of their power for two or three more years. We're talking to Josh Shelley of The Athletic here on the home of the Penguins, 105.9. What do you expect from Kessel this season? Because he had a great regular season, was either hurt or played very poorly in the playoffs, and we still don't know about him and Sullivan getting along. Yeah, it, it will be fun to watch in preseason, of course, and in training camp. Uh, I don't know that Phil's going to put up 92 points again, strictly because that power play was so great last year. I don't know if they're going to be able to go 26%, 27% again. That's incredibly difficult but, to do. But it. they might. They might. But it's the same guys. You're right. So it, he'll still put up his numbers. And, you know, Phil's another guy. Phil turns 31, I believe, next month. But I don't see him slowing down particularly. And he's just such of a genius on the ice. He really is. Uh, you know, the way he thinks the game, the way he passes the puck when you consider the players he'll be playing with. And I do expect him to start the season on a line with Evgeny Malkin. Uh, Phil's going to be Phil. He, he's going to be a pain because he always is, but he's going to produce. And Mike Sullivan's going to have to find a way to make it all work. You wrote a story about Latang, and we're immediately attacked by both those who like Latang and those who <laughs> don't. What makes Latang so polarizing Well, among Penguin fans? I mean, listen, he is the kind of guy... Um, when he makes a mistake, Mark, the whole arena sees it. There is absolutely nothing subtle about Chris Letang's game. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen a player quite like him in that regard. But at the same time, I think we've been watching him. I don't mean you and me, but I th people in general have been watching him for more than a decade now. And I really think people take for granted the things he can do. Uh, he is a one-man breakout. He does get the puck to Crosby and Malkin better than almost any defenseman in the world could. But w we've watched it for so many years that I think we take a lot of those things for granted. And, and so that's not fair to him. We all know he didn't have a great season last year. He, he clearly didn't. But uh, He knows it, too. Of course he doesn't. You know, Chris is maybe the most prideful athlete I've ever covered. I mean that. He he takes himself and the game so seriously. And finally, Either him or Josh Dobbs. <laughs> 
enough of that talk. But uh, at the end of last season, Mark, uh, Latang finally admitted, we were interviewing him, and he finally admitted, like, yeah, I'm having a bad season. And earlier in the year, he, he couldn't do it uh, because he just he's so serious and such of a perfectionist. But I think this summer will be a good thing for him. He can finally work out the way he's used to. I bet you he rebounds this year. I really think he's going to have a good season. And I think Jack Johnson's going to have a good season, too. And because of that, uh, Josh, I expect the Penguin defensive core to be improved. There aren't really any holes. Um, Jamie Alexiak, to me, he was so good last season. I mean, given that I think the bar was pretty low, and this was a guy who was supposed to be a first-round bust, and I guess he was in Dallas, but, boy, he, he did not struggle with the Penguins. In fact, I saw him getting stronger for large portions of the season. They think he has the potential to be a top-four guy. I'm not so sure he doesn't. And when you look at the rest of the blue line, uh, Dumoulin goes without saying how good he was last year. This is a legitimate top-two NHL defenseman. Ole Mata, solid as a rock. Schultz keeps getting better and better. I think Johnson will be fine. And Chad Ruedel, I don't love him when he's in the lineup, but as a number seven, perfect. Uh, where does Rust wind up in the lineup? Where does Aston Reese wind up? Where does Sprong wind up? Those are a lot of interesting questions. Let's start with Rust. I think he's going to have to play on the left side, Mark, um, simply because Jim Rutherford has said Daniel Sprong's making the team, and he's going to be a right wing. He said Derek Pouliot would be making the team as well. Well, I think Pouliot did make the team. He just never played. But nonetheless, let the... No, he made Vancouver. Well, a little bit. Let's assume that he does make the team, and I think he will. They're just so top-heavy at right wing. You've got Phil Kessel, who doesn't look very good on the left side. Hornquist absolutely can't play the left side. Rust is better on the right side, but he can play the left wing. He's been fairly effective doing so. I think he'll start the season, if I had to guess, on the left side with Derek Broussard at center on the third line. And uh, listen, Sprong is the story of training camp. We know how much talent he has. And we also know that he fairly or not has the reputation of being a guy who's not the easiest in the world to coach. Uh, I'm curious to see how he looks, what kind of condition he reports in, and how the Penguins plan on using him. He's a big-time talent, but it's not like they really need more goal scorers. So it's not like there's an easy uh, slot for him to fit into. So where he does fit in is very interesting to me. Well, being coachable shouldn't matter as much as it seems to there because I would much rather have a, a less coachable Daniel Sprong than a eminently coachable Dominic Simone. I could not agree more, but you know the fact of the matter is, I, th I think we saw how those two were treated last year. Simone kept making mistakes in the playoffs, took the biggest penalty of the season in Game 5 in Washington, was never punished for it really, remained in the lineup, and Daniel Sprong had one bad game in January, and all of a sudden in California, and he was done. He, he was back in the AHL for the rest of the season, so it appears to me they were handled differently for whatever reason. And uh, I, I'm just curious. I, I would love to see him in a top-nine role to start the season, put him with Broussard or Crosby or Malkin, give him 10 games, see what he can do, because we certainly saw flashes last season playing with Sid. Uh, this is a legitimate talent, no question. I, I just have this vision where, where Simone winds up on the top line, Sprong winds up in the press box, and <laughs> Aston Reese winds up in Wilkes-Barre. It's conceivable. And, and you know the Penguins are so deep at forward. When you consider they brought Grant and Hayes. Oh, no question. I mean, they have 15 NHL-ready forwards. They really do. And that wasn't the case, certainly last season, when Greg friggin' McKaig was the third-line center to start the season. Let's not forget that. Mm. Right. So they're much deeper now than they were, and that's a good thing. But it is interesting to see if some of the veteran guys they brought in will be given playing time or Sprong and Aston Reese. And, and you know, Sprong and Aston Reese are different because they're polar opposite players. Aston Reese is not a guy who jumps out at you with his talent the way Sprong does, but I, I think the coaches do kind of like him. They like that he plays, you know, your classic uh, simplistic game. 
But it's going to be tough for both of them to crack the lineup when you consider all the NHL-ready veterans the Penguins have right now. Um, what are your expectations for Matt Murray? And, and really, it's all about health with him. I think when he's healthy, he's one of the top 10 goalies in the league, maybe top five. Yeah, I saw the NHL Network did some poll the other day where they ranked the top 10 goalies, and he wasn't among them, which I was kind of amused by given his Stanley Cup uh, ring collection. Right, he's only won two cups in three years. And his all time I know he plays for a good team, but his all-time winning percentage is something outrageous. I think he's won like 70% of his starts or something. Um, Matt Murray's a really good goaltender, and... I know he was pretty average last season, certainly for his standards. And I know the glove hand is shaky sometimes, and that drives people absolutely nuts. But I defy you to find another weakness in, in the kid's game. And I use the word kid for a reason. He's 24, which for a goaltender is really, really young at the NHL level. He's going to get better. We know mentally he is as strong as they come. He had to deal with an awful lot last season. Uh, he got a summer to relax finally, which he probably needed. I think he's going to have a really, really good season. I know people are fascinated about which backup will, you know, DeSmith or, or Tristan Jari, who will it be behind him? As long as Matt Murray's healthy, it's not going to be that big of a deal. That's a big if, though. And, and since you brought it up, it who is. is the backup goal? <laughs> well, listen, I can't get over the fact that this coaching staff loves Casey DeSmith. And I, well, I, know I mean, I mean, the, they the, do. the goalie coach coached him in college. He did. And, and I will say in DeSmith's defense, his numbers at the NHL level and the AHL better were better than Jari's last year. Not by a big margin, but they were. But that said, Jari has the better pedigree. And I have it. The way I understand it is it's an open competition in training camp. Whoever plays better gets the nod. Jari is going to be owed a little bit more money at the NHL level. That could theoretically make a difference with the cap, but it's going to be uh, – there's not many battles in this training camp, but that'll be fun to watch because that is one. I think there's battles for playing time and yes. spots further up the depth chart, but I think the roster spots are fairly decided. Yeah, that's about – we know who the seven defensemen are. Uh, and the forwards, we don't know who the 12 on opening night will be, but we know from which 15 they'll come. Uh, the goaltending situation, no, it's going to be interesting. And you're right, it, it, Matt does get hurt a lot, so we can't ignore the backup goaltender position, certainly. Is this a big year for Mike Sullivan? I mean, not that Mike has anything to prove, far from it, but it is his first year in Pittsburgh bouncing back from not winning. Yeah, I mean, it's not like he has job security issues. I think you could make the argument he's the best coach in hockey right now. But I'm curious to see how he rebounds. Uh, this was... You know, the Washington series was literally the first negative the guy has ever had on his resume. Not that it was his fault, but he's never tasted defeat before. So how will he respond? I'm fascinated to see it. And, and I'm also interested to see if he makes any changes at all in his system, Mark. Um, coaches hate doing that. It's kind of an ego thing, I think. They all think their system is the best. I think we saw some flaws in the Penguin system last year. I think they were far too aggressive at times. The, the number of odd man rushes they gave up to the Capitals in return with how many the Penguins had. That's why they lost the series. I'm not blaming Sullivan. You can say it was bad execution. That's fine. I think they need to implement a slightly more conservative style, and I still think they would score as many goals. I'm curious in training camp if he makes any changes. Finally, Josh, uh, do you think that Rutherford still has a big trade up his sleeve, or do you think he likes the team the way it is? I mean, obviously, hmm. there will be adjustments made at the deadline. But do you think right now Jim is satisfied with his group? I think he is. Uh, nothing is brewing at the moment. In a perfect world, Mark, he would love to add one more left wing who can score. Uh, if you look on the left side, other than Jake Gensel, there's a lot of Carl Haglunds and Zach Aston Reese's players they like, the players who might not score a lot of goals. 
Um, hey, there's some left wings out there. There's a guy in Montreal named Max Pacioretty who would look awfully good in Pittsburgh, but salary cap wise, I don't think that could work. Um, but yeah, J- Jim will be looking for a left wing at some point, I would guess, but I think he's pretty content with his team right now. I just think he wants them to play for a couple of months and see how they look. That's Josh Owey from TheAthletic.com. I'm Mark Madden. Bob McLaughlin next, 105.9. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. This is one of those two-chin strap, bring the duct tape type of affairs. What the? They're going to make us play a wild card game. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. The X at 105.9. Double M on the X. I'm joined by Bob McLaughlin. Bob is brought to you by 84 Lumber. Bob, uh, what's your take on the mania? And it's running wild, dude. (laughs) The mania that Josh Dobbs should be the number two quarterback and Landry Jones should be cut or traded or shot. Uh, it's really overboard, isn't it? It is overboard, and it is mania. I mean, even in the hallways here to Mark, thank God we had an early out today because all sorts of people stopping in the hallway, you know, arguing on why he should stay, Josh Dobbs should stay, and Landry Jones should be cut. Because Wait, in the hallways here in the building? A couple people here. Oh, I would have punched them right in the face. <laughs> I thought you were right going to. Right in the to. face. I, 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 I didn't hear them talking about it, did I? I mean, I, cause I'm oblivious. I don't know if you were in your office. I'm oblivious to what's being said. Yeah. It was in the hallway outside of your office a little For bit further down. For the best of down. reasons, Bob, I don't care. <laughs> well, it, look. He was impressive last night, let's put it that way. But as you've been saying for the first two and a half hours of this show or two hours of this show, look at the look who he was going up against. These are not starting defenses that he went up against last night. And as you and Wolf talked about, he had to manufacture some of that stuff because the stuff that was supposed to happen broke down. Now, I'm not saying that that was all Josh Dobbs' fault, and he did a nice job. You know, 8 of 12 for 151, scored on three out of four drives. That's great for another team to use as a backup quarterback with him because he doesn't have a place with the Steelers. Yeah, and what people refuse to accept is that that decision was made a long time ago. Agreed. That they played Dobbs last night, A, so they didn't have to play Jones and, and, and risk injury, and B, to help build his resume and get some, some tape together on him, and, and he made the most of that. I give the guy credit. He's just not better than Landry Jones, and he's just not a guy you want to put in the backup quarterback spot when you're all in to win this season. Exactly, and that's the key point. The Steelers are in to win this year. They need somebody tried and true, somebody tested, somebody who knows the offense in and out and can go in in any circumstance, in any situation. You just don't get that with Josh Dobbs, unfortunately for him, but he will make a good backup quarterback somewhere in the league. There's absolute garbage out there. Even some of the starting quarterbacks out there, Mark, are garbage. Um, He's got a place in the NFL. Yeah, I, I think that he did himself a favor doing so well against Carolina. Because if there's one place, like Wolf said, that is a good fit, yeah, it, it, it's Carolina. But uh, again, I want to emphasize, what he did against these guys who could be playing arena ball, it just pales next to what Jones did playing in regular season games and winning regular season games. Not that he played at an all-pro level in those games, but he survived and he won and he executed the system. And you have to be sure the backup can do those things, and you really can't be sure about that when it comes to Josh Dobbs in a regular season National Football League game. Absolutely. I appreciate that Josh Dobbs, his escapability is better than Landry Jones. He is more mobile than Landry Jones, but that's not what you are looking for right now for the Steelers at this point of this season. 
That's going to work out somewhere else. But Landry Jones is going to come in as the backup if needed right now, and he's going to do the best he can with this offense because he knows it. He knows it better than Josh Dobbs. And and it, like I said, it's just so simple that there's not a place for him right now. You know, not the way that the, the quarterbacks line up. I brought up the point earlier that if there's one thing the Steelers could perhaps be criticized for, it's drafting a quarterback in the fourth round last year and a quarterback in the third round this year when they're a contender but still have some holes to fill. Now, I understand that Rudolph was projected by them to be higher than the third-round pick, and they see him as a successor to Ben. Mm -hmm. Nonetheless, given that Ben's their number one and the holes they have to fill, you know, if you didn't understand their opinion of Rudolph, you'd really think that odd. Yeah, and the other thing, Mark... You know, Josh Dobbs didn't do anything like like he did this year in Game 4 of the preseason. He didn't do anything like that last year. So maybe the Steelers took a hard look at that and said, boy, this isn't our guy moving forward if this comes available. Um, you know, if somebody comes available this year around that pick or somebody who falls down to it, let's get that person again, knowing that there's no spot well, well, for Josh not, Dobbs. Not one thing worth noting, Bob. We could talk all we want about how brilliant Josh Dobbs was last night. And he was. If Josh Dobbs had been real impressive last preseason and in practice during the season, they probably would have seen him as the successor to Ben and not drafted Mason Rudolph. Exactly. That's what I was saying. You just you didn't need to make that pick this year with Rudolph if you knew, if you were absolutely sold that Josh Dobbs was going to be your third guy. Or, you know, even work his way up to the second guy. That didn't happen. That's why they made the pick this year. That's what makes him expendable right now. And, and again, what, what really steams me about the way the citizens are approaching this, and really the way the B team approached it too, the B team talked about the debate. Well, maybe they're impressed by Josh Dobbs. Maybe he did enough. Maybe this isn't decided. It is decided. Okay, there is no way the Steelers never were going to do anything but Ben 1, Jones 2, Rudolph 3. Nothing could happen, possibly happen, to upset that apple cart. And some people, even media people, refuse to understand that. Yeah, how many times on this show, Mark, have you said, we are not going to talk about that because it's not going to happen? So I got nothing to add to that. It's a long three hours, Bob. <laughs> like, here's an example. Here, here's a tweet I got from some Dillrod. Brian tweets, Landry Jones absolutely sucks. What part of that is hard to understand? It's wrong. He doesn't absolutely suck. He is a competent NFL number two quarterback. He's not the worst backup in the league. He's done oh okay God, when he's no. played. Like I said, that's why Josh Dobbs has a place with another team and that the Steelers can get you know some kind of pick for him. You know They can trade him because somebody's going to see that performance last night and be as enamored with it. Well, not as enamored with it as a lot of Steeler fans are, but some GM, some personnel guy is going to see that last night and say, that's better than what we have right here. We can get that guy on our team. Let's see what we have to give up for him. That's Bob McLaughlin. In 30 seconds, we continue beating this to death here on 105.9 The X.